Hello and welcome to the Thriving Abroad Together podcast series and episode five in this new series. It's so great that you've joined us today. My name's Louise Wiles, host of the Thriving Abroad podcast and an expat coach and consultant. I created this current series to support expats around the world who are facing these extraordinary times as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. In this current series, I speak to a range of professionals who work to support expats and their families in a variety of ways around the world. You can learn more about the other episodes in this podcast series by going to the podcast website at www.thrivingabroad.com. There, you can sign up for the Thriving Abroad newsletter. I also invite you to join the Thriving Abroad Together Facebook group. It's a closed Facebook group where we continue the conversations and share additional resources, a space where we can offer additional support and encouragement. So it would be really lovely to see you there. And please, if you could help me to spread the word about these podcasts, then that would be fantastic. You never know who it may well help. So on to the subject of today's podcast. We all deal with stressful situations in different ways. And this is something I have known and understood professionally for years. But now, confined in close quarters with the ones I love most in the world, it's something I'm experiencing day to day. And I suspect I'm not alone. Around the world families, including many expat and international families, are spending a lot of quality time together. Tempers may be fraying as parents juggle work, homeschooling and entertainment duties, and kids' teens try to adjust to a life far removed from their norm of school or university. Parents who are struggling may be asking, are we getting this right? And how can we be better support our kids through these challenges? And of course, as parents, we want to support our children and teens in the best way possible. But it's not always easy to know how best to do this, especially when we're all grappling with the immediate consequences and longer term uncertainty of how things are going to play out. In today's conversation with Elizabeth Gillies, an educational psychologist, She provides helpful strategies, calming guidance and great approaches for supporting our families through these challenging times. In this conversation we discuss what causes anxiety and stress and how we can learn to manage it, why emotions matter and why sweeping them under the carpet just won't do, how our expat experience of change and transition can help us to cope with these challenging times and strategies for dealings with worries, even the tangible ones, tangible, very real ones. We talk about how to build a healthy mind and how to teach children about emotional contagion and mental flexibility. Elizabeth shares some really great books, ideas and resources. If you're listening to this podcast in audio format, you may want to go and download the show notes at thrivingabroad.com Look for the Thriving Abroad Together series, episode five, with Elizabeth Gillies. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye-bye for now. Hello and welcome to the Thriving Abroad podcast. And I'm really pleased to be here today with Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi there. Hi, everybody. Lovely to have you joining the conversation today. So um, just 
quickly give us a picture of where you are? I think that's a really lovely thing to share at the moment with everybody working from different places and, and, and I'm talking to people from all over the world. So just really nice to know where you're speaking to us from. Well, I, I'm based in Wimbledon in London and I'm kind of decamped like lots of people. <laughs> and my um, office has been given over to another member of the family. And so I'm kind of floating around the house finding quiet spots where I can. And you'll see behind me, we lived in Japan for a long time, so there are kind of Japanese things behind. So it's that kind of expat thing, you know, you know where they've been because <laughs> what's around in their house. So you'll see some Kokeshi dolls, which I absolutely love behind. So, Fantastic. Right. Well, I think that's really, really lovely. Um, and actually, if you're wondering where I've been in the world, you'll probably be thinking nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll, I'll come clean here and say that I've been banished from the office where my husband is currently on a massive conference call with his team. So I am in the bedroom <laughs> and trying to avoid showing you my bed. So you've got the wall, which is blank at the moment. I need to put some pictures up there. I've been meaning to do that for years. <laughs> this is about us being flexible, isn't it? And having to Absolutely. do Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm quite sure we're not alone. I know there are people, yeah, everywhere. <laughs> I think it's a common topic of conversation, isn't it? How are you managing work, family, exactly all from one location. So today, Elizabeth and I are going to talk a bit about the current crisis or situation, whatever we want to call it, and how we're reacting to it in, in the sense of, um, yeah, our reaction to it. Um, I know from a personal experience that I've probably had bouts of anxiety about it so we're going to start with a little conversation about anxiety um, and I'm really interested to hear from you Elizabeth you know what purpose does it serve us because um, <laughs> we all have these anxious moments and I do wonder why we're built that way that we have them and why do you think some people might be more anxious um, than others in any given situation okay well you know I think we're wired for threat that's that's what we are our brain just knows it's looking for threat we're alert we're vigilant to it and you have to think that our ancestors were likely risk averse <laughs> that's why we're here they were likely good problem solvers in it too but we are on the lookout for danger and threat because that's what's going to keep us safe mm -hmm. and of course when things are fine and calm we aren't selectively attending to that because we don't have to act so we only really have to act um, in a kind of very kind of brain focused way. Our brain goes into kind of threat mode, fight, flight, freeze. And so that's why, you know, acting can help us and save us. And being, a, being a very aware of how we're threatened is really important to us. So it's a kind of survival function. It's there to keep us safe. Right. Yeah. 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 And um, I guess I can, I kind of get that on a, a, a conceptual level. And I guess I probably, and people listening might be able to recognise this in themselves, when this whole crisis first emerged, and I suppose probably for us in the UK, when it came, began to come to a head, I guess, two or three weeks ago now with, um, and I, I found myself it was almost a mental frozen state, actually, because I found myself not able to focus particularly well um, and really kind of hopping between things. You know, I'd sit down to one, do one thing and the next thing I'd find myself in the kitchen doing something else and then I'd be going shopping and then I'd be, yeah, I, I really didn't focus clearly on, 
on a number of things that I should have done and should have got finished. Um, <laughs> so is that fairly typical? Do you think, do you, is that a, a demonstration of, of or, or an out? an outward demonstration of anxiety of course it is and i think one of the really interesting things is anxiety can disguise itself in many forms mm -hmm. so we can have anxious thoughts that are you know often combined with something you feel something catastrophic is going to happen and that's combined with i'm not going to be able to cope with it so that yeah. sometimes people will have very strong emotions so they'll feel it, um, they'll, feel, they'll feel that anxiety, and they might feel it in a very kind of physical way. So they might get very lightheaded, they might get, you know, they might get tingly, they might get stomach aches, they might get, you know, um, you know, all sorts of kind of body symptoms, sore shoulders. And also it can come out through behavior. So you know, in adults and children, nobody really turns out and says, you know, I'm feeling very anxious, but they'll see them avoiding things, doing more or less of things, um, being angry, being, you know, clingy. So you'll see that behavior played out, that those feelings played out in lots of different ways. And I guess what we have to kind of unpick is about what is it about somebody that shows their anxiety. And it's really good for us to know ourselves, like what happens to us when we get anxious. Mm -hmm. That raising awareness about, ooh, that's me cleaning again. <laughs> anxiety speaking, you know? Um, so we have to kind of understand it for ourselves. And I think one of the things I think at the moment is that there are lots of people talking about anxiety and about what it is and what to do. And I think the most important thing for us is, of course, I think you have to listen to those things, but you have to find out about your own unique triggers, your own unique things that happen to you so that you know what it is in you. You mm -hmm. can understand it for yourself that this is what it is. It's anxiety. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I guess that's really important in a family situation because I'm just thinking about some of our meal times recently you know so I'm, I yeah, live with my husband and my two daughters 17 and 14 so we're all coping with with this in different ways and that's very obvious um, when we sit down to dinner often um, and if we're not clear on our oh, what triggers us and, and how we're behaving then that can be something that you know as a behavior demonstrates it at the table and i've noticed emotional contagion it just whoom, <laughs> shoots off and then everyone's kind of like, emotional reaction comes out i think rooted often at the moment in a certain element of discomfort um about the current situation yeah. and um and we all go off in our different directions demonstrating yeah quite clearly our different ways of behaving i don't know whether that's something you see or have of course, I think that the, the, the one thing to say, you know, one point to pick up is that big emotions are highly contagious. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I think that's something for parents especially to understand is about knowing your own anxiety and how then it spreads to other people. Mm -hmm. And if you're, you know, that's how kids learn about how to manage anxiety is by watching how their parents do it. Um, and I know we'll talk about that a little bit later, but watching about other people's interactions and seeing, you know, how they handle difficult things is a really mm. important 
something. So we have yeah. to understand about sort of that um, contagion. And I've got some resources that I'll share with you later about that, about how you kind of try and explain it. Um, so I, I think we have to be kind of, we kind of um, be aware of that. And with the other thing I think we have to be aware about, and sort of about when you were talking about ages and stages, that, um, you know, for, for children and young people, um, there are sort of certain developmental stages that, you know, where they have common fears. So mm -hmm. it's part of our normal development. And I think we, that's something we have to come back. This is a, a normal reaction, you know, it's a kind of not an abnormal reaction. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, for you thinking about, you know, four to six year olds, you know, they're starting to be, um, have vivid imaginations. And so, you know, common fears for four to six year olds are kind of fear of the dark, fear of separation. What will happen if I get lost? You know, for adolescents, it's, you know, they're starting to be more aware of their wider world and their interactions with peers. So, of course, they're going to be worried about, um, you know, what's going to happen. And whereas that's not necessarily going to be true for much younger children. So mm -hmm. people play out these little anxieties dependent a little bit on their developmental stage. Yeah, 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 no, I can see that in my children as well. Um, and also probably a bit in relation to their personalities and temperaments as well. Yeah, some people are just more sensitive to threat. Yeah. Uh, okay. Some people are more able to manage those kind of difficult feelings skillfully. Um, other people need some help to manage them. And I was reading something the other day about how this kind of notion of emotional regulation is likely the most important skill in the 21st century. Mm. So it's being able to know what those emotions are and maybe even thoughts are and be able to deal with them. It's not about not having them. It's about having them and being aware about them and then being able to manage them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's a little bit of research says we have between 70,000 and 100,000 thoughts every day. <laughs> so you have to learn how to manage them. Yeah. It's not that you have to kind of only be thinking of the positive, you have to learn how to deal with the difficult, to deal yeah. with the discomfort, to deal with the kind of uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that point of uncertainty is one for me at the moment that has kind of reared its head in the sense that there is so much uncertainty. It is an unfamiliar situation which no one really has any control over. Um, and I think that's quite unique in many ways. And, and that sense of lack of control can feed that anxiety. For me, that's certainly been an issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm going to go on to kind of a couple of things that I yeah. really, really like is this, you know, the work by Dan Siegel. And mm -hmm. he talks a lot, a lot about name it to tame it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. he talks about naming thoughts and feelings and, and, and sort of trying to kind of work out what they are in order to understand and do something different. Um, and um, there's a, a, a human performance coach called David Rock. And he says that, you know, if you're kind of experiencing that inner anxiety and the inner tension, knowing what it is, so knowing that it's anxiety or anger or whatever it is, knowing what it is, is you just by labeling it something, which an accurate thing, you're likely going to be able to reduce it by 50%. Wow. Okay. So the importance mm -hmm. of, as as adults 
being able to name our own feelings and emotions and then being able to help that in our children and we can talk about that later is a really important thing so we have to know what these things are and know maybe our sensitivities or triggers to them and then be able to work out well what, what are the things that i need to do kind of re rehearse some actions that we know that are helpful uniquely to us right okay okay so yeah let's let's move on then and talk a bit more about some coping skills that so you know that's um thinking about how we're feeling so yeah. feeling it um, we don't always have to think of anxiety or stress or whatever it's a negative thing there is good anxiety you know i felt a bit of good anxiety this morning when i was just sitting down thinking oh what are the things that i'm going to say to louise today mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. good anxiety kind of stopped me lying on the sofa watching telly or phoning a friend <laughs> or whatever it was but it motivated me to do something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and it made me kind of focus my attention on what are the things that i'm going to want to say to louise yeah should i should i put that slide on so that if you're watching the video you can see this if you're listening to the podcast you can go to thrivingbroad.com and look for this podcast um and and there'll be a download there where you can actually access these these slides um so let me share my screen one. and and it's so, one i often use to when i'm talking to young people about exam anxiety but it's a very similar thing that there is this kind of as anxiety kind of goes up, you know, our ability to deal with things kind of like deteriorates. So you have to know what kind of that optimal stress level, or I think I I kind of like to use a little bit of the third culture research. And, um, you know, when you talk about transition cycles, about knowing what settled means, what settled and motivated and working in a good place means. So you have to know about, you know, getting back to settled, you know, because of course we're all going to feel anxious at some time, but it's about how you actually go back from that orange. Hopefully you don't get into the red or if you get to the red, bringing yourself back into that yellow zone of feeling settled, being able to work in a really good way. You don't want to be, there's a green zone, which is like, you're not really bothered. You're not motivated. You're to lay back you you know you're not you're not kind of like you're not kind of aroused enough to do something so we need to get ourselves in a state where there's some good anxiety that leads us to do something you know different yeah yeah and that's where I think I've hit hearing quite a lot of um well because of the world I work in but performance coaches saying you know don't allow this time to be just about Netflix you know <laughs> um which <laughs> Yeah, it's a reaction. I'm sure a lot of people are feeling at the moment and probably three weeks ago I was around about there. Um, but, you know, to, to just give up on the world and go, OK, well, I'm just going to do Netflix for the next three months or however long we are um, in our homes for. So, yeah, creating for yourself some projects around which you feel motivated and, and, and inspired to, 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 to get involved and, and work on. I guess that applies to children as well, does it? So I think it's about keeping active. And I don't think, Louise, it has to be major, huge things that you're doing. Mm. Um, I mean, I've got four things that I try and do every day. I try and exercise. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got some little projects. And of course, I've still got some work going on. Um, I clean something. That's my <laughs> two things. So I let myself do it a little bit. 
Um, because it's for me, it's a thing. I know it's the thing that kind of helps me because it's something that has a start and an end point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the other thing, you know, I like to help somebody else or, you know, phone a friend, connect with somebody. So I've got four, and they don't have to be, you know, they don't have to be big or mammoth things. So it's about finding the things that make you feel quite good. And of course, people are talking about whole ranges of things. And you might start to feel guilty, like thinking, oh, I'm not doing this, or I should be doing that. It's about working it out for yourself and finding the things that kind of keep you sane. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I, can I think there, there are different ways of looking at it. And I think there's a kind of top-down or a bottom-up strategy I, I talk about. And the top-down is about addressing kind of head things you know <laughs> if you've got a lot of stuff going on in your head about worrying about being anxious about thoughts going round, about ruminating then maybe you have to kind of deal with that in a way and you know there are some very simple things you can do like you know if you do want to worry you could just give yourself a worry time so let you give yourself 10 minutes or something or you know a short period of time. so corral it don't let it kind of be you know when I talk to kids I talk about worries being like untrained puppies running through your head they run everywhere they don't know where to go and where to sit and where to stay and so we have to train them and we have to train them to kind of as you know, if we've got between 17 and 100,000 of them, can you imagine what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> Absolute chaos. <laughs> yes. So it's about knowing it's out of control and then starting to kind of make a better filing system for them and being able to file them, being say, oh, this is my anxious thoughts again. Okay, like, I'm going to deal with you kind of like, you know, my worry time later or journaling helps, writing them down. Um, one of the things that I teach kids if they've got some worries, we have to know that worries should come and go and not stay with them. Mm. And I like telling the, I, I use lots of stories and metaphors. So it's a little bit about, you know, when you're going to cross the road, you're alert, you're vigilant, you're looking at how fast the traffic's going, you're thinking, I'm going to be safe here, is this really dangerous, is it a good place to cross? Um, so you are in that worry mode, but once you get to the other side, obviously you've made a good decision and you've got to the other side, those worries aren't there anymore. So we need to let them go. So you need to find ways about being able to kind of not try and push them away too much because we know that doesn't work. Somebody's saying, don't worry, it doesn't work. So we need to kind of find strategies to do things like, you know, so I teach kids to, you know, be at a bus stop, you know, I'm in London. So be at a bus stop, put your bus, put your worry on a bus, your bus comes along, you see your worry, and then your bus goes off again. Yeah, oh, I like that. Yeah. So, yeah, so you have to use things in your environment to be able to have things to come into your life, and for them, you to let them go as well. So that's mm. kind of like, there's lots of kind of top model you know top you know top down top things that you can think about that are doing with you know thinking about you know managing things in your head and then there's the bottom-up strategies that are more about dealing with those physical sensations and things so about breathing about 
tensing and relaxing your body, kind of mindfulness, you know, all those things that kind of show that, you know, your body can kind of relax somehow. And for some people, they'll need a top, you know, top strategies. And other people, they'll need those bottom-up strategies. So it's about finding the ones that are right for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess it could add and flow over time as well, yeah, depending on what you're worrying about. Absolutely. I mean, like, there was one, there's one kind of, as you were talking about worries, I was thinking, I'm so really conscious that for some people, there are real practical worries that are an issue right now. So, yeah, and I'm thinking particularly financial. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just, I'm just wondering what your advice would be for those people who really do have you know, pressing issues that they're right to be worrying about. How, how can they manage those? I, th- I, think, I think one of the things you can do is sort your worries into mm-hmm. what people, some people call productive, unproductive. I kind of call them helpful worries and unhelpful worries. And helpful worries are things that have some immediate consequence. They're, they're kind of like coming up in the next few days. They're really kind of around you now. Um, maybe there's a lot of, um, we can maybe have more focus on problem solving about what you can do with those worries. So those worries are more kind of dealable, problem solvable. Um, maybe you've got um, low levels of, um, or, or you, maybe you, you might tolerate some of the imperfect solutions because you know you've got a little bit of a problem. So it's about getting into problem solving mode. Is there something I can do about it? Is there something, actions that I can do that I can talk to people, I can get some support? You know, I'm stuck at home with coronavirus. Um, you know, who's, who, who's going to help me? I'm not going to go out to the shops. Who's going to help me? Can I phone a neighbour? So it's all that very immediate thing. And then there are the unhelpful worries about things that are way in the future. Um, you may be, there's a lot more uncertainty um, with those you see a lot of threats you know you know what if everybody dies you know what if there's not going to be Netflix on the television you know what if you know they're all things like way in the future and you you can think about those as unhelpful worries so I think it's right to kind of have worries and 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 try and manage them and deal with them as best you can Mm-hmm. To deal with those ones that are going to help you do something so that's still in the kind of optimal level in that in that level when you can manage things and deal with things and some things will be really difficult some mm-hmm. things will be hard and we have to know that you know this is a world where there are things that are really hard and I think one of the things and, and certainly when we kind of talk a lot a little bit about in relation to parents I think there's a little bit about us only wanting happy, optimistic, positive emotions. But as human beings, we have a whole range of emotions and they're all valid. So feeling a bit hopeless and helpless sometimes is actually fine. You know, feeling frustrated, feeling a bit angry about something, feeling a bit sad. I think they're all really, you know, they're meant to be there as humans. And it's how we manage them that's the important thing. Yeah, great. Okay, so in terms of managing, I know the next slide, is this about part of the picture for managing? Yeah. 
Yeah, should we go in and talk about that? One of my other things that I really like um, from Dan yeah. Siegel, is it coming up? It's called The Healthy Mind Platter. Um, and it's a real, it's kind of reminding us is that, you know, we need a balance of things. So just like you need a balance of colors and different food on your plate, you need a balance of things to keep your mind working well. It's not going to work well if you've just got, the, you know, the focus time is about when we're all actually sort of really focusing in on something that's uh, really important, a bit of work. Or if we're doing that time in when we're thinking a lot about things and things are going through our head. So we have to be careful that we're not doing just one of these things that we need a balance. Uh, it's something that I use a lot with young people that I work with, especially when it comes around to exam time or it would have been. Mm -hmm. um, to kind of that focus time is the time when you're really working on things. So to make sure you've still got sleep and physical activities and connecting with other people, which I think is really important. People are finding interesting ways to do it now. Mm. Having a bit of time to play and have fun, um, a bit of downtime when you're doing absolutely nothing and time in to reflect on things. Be thinking about, you know, is my, is this strategy that I've got for myself working? Am I, am I handling my anxiety in a way that's kind of working out fine for me? Um, Am I, am I doing the things that are supporting myself and other people? I'm, you know, so mm. you need a balance of those things that are, it's really, really important to keep because it's not just about doing one thing. It's, it's that kind of structure where we've got that, you know, we're supporting the whole of us so that our mind is working well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Brilliant. I really like that approach. And it just reminds us to think about, you know, are we fitting these various activities and, and yeah, Thing, things into our day um because I, I imagine you know when you're working from home then you have the the, the challenge of of drawing you know a line under the work and and, and not making work 100 percent what you're doing I and mean, we've noticed that around our house at the moment you know um and we're having to consciously say right okay let's just stop at whatever time and then it's dinner and you know relax rather than going back to it um i know yeah so really important to, to bear all of that in mind brilliant so um go on, go on. for some people you know it might be you know they'll have stresses around some of these and not others so it's finding the things you're doing well and doing and and doing you know that that you know in in a good way for you but also to try and get the balance and it'll be different for different people yeah yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, let me saying, you know, don't spend all your time working, but if you're working on a specific project, yeah, okay, spend all your time working on that if that's the objective, but then be aware that once you've done that, you're going to then spend some time in downtime and relax and, yeah, and the connection thing is really important too. And having a bit of fun and playing because mm. I think fun is kind of the opposite of anxiety. And sometimes when we're talking about anxiety and worries, we get very serious. Yes. And actually yes. a little bit of levity and a little bit of laughter is a really good thing. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 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 In fact, um, one of the previous interviews I've done with Fabienne Vales, if anyone's listened to that or they want to go back and listen to that, she was talking about exactly that. She's in quarantine for 14 days and with her two sons who are 
I think primary and then first year secondary and she was saying you know one of their that one of the things that they'd said to themselves is we're going to have some fun um it's not all going to be about us trying to work you trying to study you know online and all of that we will have fun and they are having fun together <laughs> so yeah building time for that really important great um so we've talked a little bit about children and how they may be reacting um so I'm really interested then to hear your ideas on how parents can enable thoughts and feelings that are you know, helpful and positive in their children. Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to one of the things we were talking about earlier in that you've got to be careful about your own anxiety because that's, you're the role model for this. And I'm, I'm not saying don't be anxious, but be mindful about how you're, playing out your anxiety. Um, and the other thing I think I'd say is I, I really like this notion of mentalization and it's being able to try and put yourself in your child's shoes and imagine what their world is like um, and take a kind of curious stance to it. You know, you know, some children will be absolutely overjoyed. There's no school. <laughs> And your child might be one of those and you might be kind of really surprised at that or others might be really, really kind of grieving that they've lost their, you know, their social world. Mm. So you have mm. to be mindful um, and have this, this kind of parent mentalization about what is it for your child? What is the thing for them? What are they, what are they missing? What are they enjoying? What are they finding difficult? So it's about trying to put yourself in their shoes, which I think is a, you know, sometimes a hard thing to do. But I think it's one of these times that a lot of the time it doesn't really matter so much about what we're doing. But at times like this, um, a, a quick story, but um, sort of I was living in Japan and during the, um, the big earthquake in 2011, and a good friend of mine said, who was a CEO of a company, he said, this is my time. I said, what do you mean this is your time? He said, normally everything just happens fine. He said, but now I really have to stand up and take a lead on this. Um, because what I do, all the attention I give to things is really, really important. Mm. And so I think in a way, this is a time for parents to kind of stand up a bit and show that little bit of leadership and you know, at, fa at family, I mean, I'm not saying be a dictator, but just kind of try and influence some, some things around the house that are going to help things happen and, and, not, and not hinder. So, you know, I, I know some families have got, you know, schedules in place and we'll do this and this and this and this. And of course, those might work for those families, but it might not work for all of them. Mm. So about have that have that kind of looking in and thinking about what's going to be right for my family yeah yeah I think that's really important advice um and uh, you know one thing I was thinking of talking about my kids and you know three months to them to us as adults three months yeah okay it sounds yeah, yeah a bit of a trial but we can easily see past, past that for them 
yeah. it is such a big chunk. You know, my one of my daughters was saying this is such a big chunk of my education. Really, she's in the lowest lower six, as we call it, year twelve. And you know, there was so much going on for her, and so much she was looking forward to in terms of university visits and all of that, which are not happening now. And and so and for them, that's just such a big chunk of their their her sixth form experience. Um, and the same for you know kids in the upper sixth who've now lost out on the final months of um, maybe perhaps not missing out so much on the exams but you know all that kind of ritual that you go through as you're coming mm-hmm. to the end of that time so I can really see that thinking about how it's impacting them from their perspective is important as it's a parent really important. Um, yeah. and, and I, I think you know I work with quite a number of young people who are so disappointed that they're not going to sit their exams I mean not everybody's going to be like that but some are because this was a chance for them to show maybe some children work better, young people work better, you know, in exams rather than coursework. And this is a chance for them to show and they'd be, you know, schools gear you all up to the, this point mm-hmm. and then it's not there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, and I, I, yeah, I've got family members who are not doing GCSEs and who are really distraught by that for exactly that reason. They were on this trajectory, they knew what they were doing, they knew how much effort they were going to put into mocks and they knew they were going to gear it up further for the finals and then suddenly that's not happening. So, totally so that's like that. loss, isn't it? And sort of like in yeah. and, and for yeah, yeah. children who are at the end of, you know, Brittany talk about primary school going to secondary school, you know, sometimes, you know, those, those are, that's also a really big transition for them. Yeah. About mm-hmm. saying goodbye to this place where they've been for seven years. Mm-hmm. And, and then going on to this next stage and there's lots of really good things happen to help in that transition and you know the research in Britain we know this is a really one of the first big difficult transitions for kids in school is that move from primary to secondary mm-hmm. and there's usually a lot of work goes into school at that time and that's just yeah. not going to happen there yeah 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 that's a really good point <laughs> yeah yeah and then I'm thinking about international families who perhaps were you know they're moving this summer perhaps they've moved early um so they've not had that time to say goodbye it's just suddenly been a quick move or they are you know not going to have their time to work through the goodbyes at school they're perhaps still in that location but know that they're not going to be going back I mean I I think we you know you and I and lots of other people know the importance of a good goodbye Mm. um and I think there's also ways that people can still do it. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, I wouldn't say it's a lost opportunity, but I, I think it's an opportunity, opportunity to do it in a different way. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also probably important then to underline that, yeah, do take time to think about how you do the goodbyes. Um, so if you haven't watched, I, I guess this comes from the work with third culture kids, international third culture kids, um, and Ruth Van Rieken and... Oh, David, uh, David, sorry David, David Pollock's yeah David Pollock's book on third culture kids and the way in which you know it is important to take time to say goodbye um so I'll put the links to that book if you want to take a look at that um and I particularly look at the raft mm. when you're leaving so it's about reconciliation making repairs affirmations um um, um, sort of um, what's the R uh, F is farewells and T's think yeah. destination so still you can still do those things but they'll be done in a different way yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
Yeah, yeah, and actually, and as you're listening to this, I'll refer you to my, another conversation with Sunday Schneider Bean, where we were talking about that, and mm-hmm. and we were just talking about the ways of of continuing to have meaningful connection and communication with people when it's not you know physically face to face. So, and we yeah, Raft came up and we talked about that for people who are Ooh. leaving. So, refer you to that conversation as well, which you can find nice. driving abroad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, have we anything else you? can share with us about supporting parents or children um, I was going to say I have got this this th- um, a couple of things um, do you want to do that role play Louise or do you want yeah to- why not sure. yeah let's do it as a role play um, one of the one of the best resources I think for parents is a book by um Faber and Maslich, it's called How to Talk to Kids, the Kids Will Listen and Listen so Kids Will Talk. And I think you'll know it and people will know it. And there's usually a little bit about that I, that I do as a role play when I'm talking about anxiety with, with parents. And um, it's an adult and a child. And have you got it there in front of you? I have, yes. Yeah. So, do you want me to share it, put it on the screen? Yeah. Will you be the child, Louise? And you just read out the child's words and I'll read out the adult's, right? Okay, okay. My turtle's dead. He was alive this morning. Now, don't get so upset, honey. Oh, don't cry. Ah. <laughs> Stop that. I'll buy you another turtle. No, no, I don't want another turtle. Now you are being unreasonable. So we have that scenario, <laughs> and then we have the next one. Oh, no, I'm going to go back this way. Here we are. Okay. My turtle's dead. He died. He was alive this morning. No, what a shock. He was my friend. To lose a friend is hurt, hurts. I taught him to do tricks. Gosh, you two had fun together. You I fed him every day. You really cared about that turtle. Okay. So we have two different scenarios. And of course, they're kind of like played out to show you kind of big differences. Um, I should put you on the spot, Louise. What, what differences did you see in those scenarios? <laughs> um, oh, well, I probably saw the impatient parent who kind of, yeah, was, doesn't want to have to deal with this particularly um, and is just frustrated by the child's you know, child being upset. Um, and then I saw the parent who related to what the child was saying and acknowledged that and, um, yeah, acknowledged their feelings. I think that's really important thing. Yeah. We saw a bit of naming entertainment and it, it, it might have even been better if the parent said, gosh, you're really sad. So kind of yeah. like label it. Gosh, you're anxious. Gosh, you're worried. Gosh, you're whatever. Yeah. Um, so there was that, there was name entertainment. And of course, I think what happens to us as parents is when our child is, has these big emotions, it's very hard for us to deal with it because we've talked about emotions are contagious. We don't want to see them upset. And so what do we try and do? We try and fix it by saying, mm-hmm. I'll buy you another turtle, <laughs> right? And of course, that's not going to work because we've mm-hmm. moved on far too quickly the yeah. first thing we need to do is kind of acknowledge those, those feelings. And if we don't, what you're saying to children is, don't trust your own feelings. 
I know better than mm. you. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's that mentalization not happening about putting yourself in that child's shoes. You know, their turtle's dead. It was really important to them. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how those emotions are also important that you can have, have them, those difficult ones. You can have uncomfortable feelings. You can sit with uncomfortable feelings because we know that, you know, if you learn to sit with uncomfortable feelings, it's going to help you through life. Yeah. Yeah. And just manage to say that's all right for me to feel a little bit upset, a little bit worried, a little bit cross, whatever it is, because that's normal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and also, I think you saw in the, in the scenario where, you know, um, again, to go back to Dan Siegel, he talks about his four S's. And it's about being seen safe, soothed and secure. And I think those are things we should be thinking about with our kids at the moment. About, about and, and be careful on the soothed, because I think one of the things that does can fuel anxiety in children is over reassurance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be all right, don't worry, it's gonna be fine, it's gonna be all right, don't worry. You know, we're all gonna be fine. You know, you can hear in that tone of voice, the message behind it is. Yeah. It's not really. There's a bit of fear behind that. Yes. Yeah. Behind it, but Mm. be careful of the, you know, the over reassurance. I think Mm. reassurance is good, but don't go over the top because kids can start to read, you know, read between the lines. Mm. So I like Mm. that safe, seen, soothed, secure bit about Mm. doing the things that you can see them. You know, in the second scenario, the parents saw not just you know, their child was upset, but empathize, was able to connect with them and feel, you know, some of the, help them hold a little bit of that anxiety too. Mm -hmm. So I think that's Mm -hmm. a really kind of um, nice thing to kind of hold on to. And the the other thing I'd say, I I really like using, you know, going back to kind of name it to tame it, how do you do that? I think with parents, you can do a lot of it through literature. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, you, if you're watching the television or watching a film together, you can label those emotions on other people. Mm-hmm. And um, you can talk about things. You can say, oh, they, oh look, they were feeling this. And imagine if you were feeling like that. So you can mm-hmm. talk about those things in a kind of removed con- context rather than a direct one to begin with. Um, one of my favorite books of all time, and I've just got it sitting next to me, is called The Pig of Happiness. Do you know that? Oh, okay. No, I don't actually. No. So it's the most beautiful that is by Edward Monkton. And can I read, can I read it? Can I? It's yeah. So, and there's lovely kind of illustrations. Um, mm-hmm. So there was once a pig. He was an ordinary pig in all ways, but one thing did set him apart. This was his distaste for the mumbling and grumbling that is the natural way of pigs. Um, I know, thought the pig, I shall become an extraordinary pig. So good thinking here, really. From now on, I shall stand for everything that is light and beautiful and true and wonderful. I shall see the best in everyone and the best in everything. Quite a talent of that, isn't it? (laughs) I shall become the pig of happiness. Look at this. And so it did come <laughs> The next day when Pig A complained about the weather, the Pig of Happiness went dancing in the rain. The day after that, when Pig B was rude about Pig C's bottom, 
and all the other pigs joined in, the pig of happiness gave Pig C a flower and said in front of all the other pigs that he thought Pig C had a beautiful bottom actually. And so it continued daily. After a while, the pig of happiness became so happy with being happy that his happiness became too big and it had to find an escape. And so it was that it began to leak and seep from inside him into the other pigs. Now all the pigs are happy and their happiness is beginning to show signs of leaking too. The sheep are laughing. <laughs> the chickens are beginning to smile. Oh. So it's a nice, lovely. It's a lovely little story. It's about how big emotions find their ways out. Yeah. It's yeah. about contagion. It's about being aware of our thoughts and then the behavior that comes along with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, that connection of it. Um, it's about, um, you know, it, it's about us being all in it together, you know. Um, we're not all separate from each other. We're all, we're all connected. And what we do has, a, you know, has an effect on other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and and I, I, one of my, sorry, I'll just slide please. Um, I love this one called Pumpkin Soup. Oh, yeah. I've got that one. Well, I did have that one. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think I use these with adults too sometimes. Yeah, I is about these three little creatures that are all living together in a house. And they all start arguing. <laughs> and then they've all got to find a way of living together quite successfully, which is quite a good thing for us to kind of be aware of at the moment. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I like yeah. literature. I like, I like games. Um... I like, do you know, fortunately, unfortunately? No. No. Um, I think I should. Oh, well. Um, so it, I often will put, if someone's like kind of stuck in a lot of negative thoughts and stuff, I will often put them. So it's about giving people an experience of something different. And I think with kids, you have to do, give them lots of like books and games. You have to give them experiences. So um, I'll say, unfortunately, and you have to say for So um, I was going on a plane recently and unfortunately, when we were halfway over the Atlantic going towards America, one of the uh, engines failed. And now you have to say, but fortunately. There are two or four even, I don't know how many on a plane. And we were fine because we can fly without one engine. Right. But unfortunately, <laughs> pilot suddenly um, felt very ill and had to ask if anybody could fly the plane while he was ill. And then you have to be fortunately. Fortunately, there were three pilots <laughs> moving to a different destination as passengers on the plane. So there wasn't a problem at all. <laughs> unfortunately, they decided that instead of going to America, they were going to fly to Greenland. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, the passengers were thrilled because they'd always fancied a holiday in Greenland. <laughs> so kind of giving kids experiences of doing something different. Yeah. Something that's going to change a little bit. How did that feel? How did that feel about you having to be in that situation where you had to think a different kind of a way? Was yeah. It, yeah. Yes, but I mean, cause it, yeah, it's, um, 
it just makes you realize that actually you can can play with your thoughts you can actually do the complete opposites and uh, yeah 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 your thoughts um, don't have to be the boss of you no 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 exactly. this other little thing you know it's about have you seen this so, right, so this is a head for the people who aren't listening aren't, aren't, aren't can't see this right. is a describe it oh, it's a it's a little picture and what do you see louise so it's one of those think, optical illusions oh yeah actually i see two i see both of them now yes. yeah so i see a rab rabbit's head with his yes and, ears. and if i go to kind of turn it we can put it on you can see a duck duck mm -hmm. so it's about that flexibility that we were talking about when we first we were first talking about you know about having some flexibility about things that psychological flexibility that it doesn't always have to be this way yeah and be yeah. another way of doing something and thinking yeah. about something yeah brilliant well, i think that's a really positive note on which to finish the conversation um and i think that's oh what a treasure trove of ideas and um yeah fantastic so thank you very very much and Can I, I will say one last thing before yeah we... yeah Look, I, I don't want to sugarcoat this in any way i don't want to say you know this is an easy thing and you can get through it i think it is hard mm -hmm. and i think you know we have to acknowledge that that it is hard and difficult and we have to be kind of motivated to find other ways of doing things and not get stuck in that fight flight freeze that there are things to do um, and different ways to get through things. And, you know, I have been struck by people's generosity and kindness and creativity at a time like this. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, we can be drawn to look at that or we can be drawn to look at other things. And it's about somehow finding a balance in it. Yeah. No, absolutely agree with that. And you know, I think that's a lovely summary. So I'm not going to add anything more to that. But thank you. Thank you very much for all that you've shared today. Okay, good. Bye-bye. Bye-bye for now. <laughs> and thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed having the conversation with Elizabeth. I found it absolutely fascinating and I felt there was so much useful content there. If you want to have a written record of the content, you can go to thrivingabroad.com, look for this episode, episode five in the Thriving Abroad Together series with Elizabeth Gillies. And at the top of the blog post for that episode, you'll find a download for the show notes for this episode with all the slides and everything else that you heard her talk about in the interview. Wherever you are in the world, I wish you all the very best. And if there is ever anything I can do to support you, then just email me louise at louisewiles.com and I will get in touch. Meanwhile, I wish you all the very best and I'll be back soon with the next instalment in the Thriving Abroad, Abroad Together podcast series. Bye-bye for now.